Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact podcast, episode 43. And this week we are asking for a very, very special request. It is a rating and a review. I ask it every week, you guys. I just, I need it. I need it. I need it. I need you to pause what you're doing. I need a rate, a review, a subscribe. Uh, all things that make me happy, all things that keep the show successful um, and help other nonprofit ears get some of this super valuable and amazing information. And speaking of amazing information, today's episode talks about a really unique topic and a unique way to kind of take a little health thumbprint on your nonprofit organization. And honestly, this can be related to any business as well. But of course, Jess and I focus on nonprofit organizations today. She walks through the five ways and the five like evaluation points for evaluating your nonprofit's health. Um, Of course, in COVID, we all have been (laughs) really heightenedly aware of our health and what we're doing for ourselves, our bodies, our families. Um, But doing the same kind of health check for our companies and our organizations is just as important. So without further ado, we'll keep this short and sweet because all I'm asking is for you to pause this. Go give us a little five-star action if you're on Apple Podcasts. Give us a little review. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be a paragraph. Just a couple of nice sweet, sweet words about the amazing value that you're receiving from this. It ain't that hard. I'm not asking for too much. And that's why it's short and sweet, which is why now you get to hear from Jess Cooper from Jess Cooper Consulting about the five ways that you can evaluate your nonprofit organization's measure of health. Jess, thank you so much for being on the show today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you kind of came up with this new idea to evaluate organizations and how people can be working on their own nonprofit organization health. All right. Thanks, Susan. So my story is a little bit similar to yours in the fact that when I was in college, I had a passion for a nonprofit organization. I didn't start one out of my dorm room, but my very, my first year in college, I volunteered for this organization called Camp Quality. And I was with the specific organization, Camp Quality Northwest Missouri, which is one of a handful of Camp Quality camps throughout the country but actually began in Australia. So I was volunteering with Camp Quality and when I got back, I thought, I want to do more. I have to do more for this organization. I love it. I was paired one-on-one with a camper and all the children that attend Camp Quality are either diagnosed with cancer or in remission from their cancer treatment. So this organization and this little girl specifically that I was paired with captured my heart and I knew that I wanted to do more. So. I have a background in swimming. And so I came back and started doing some fundraisers through swimming and talking to newspapers and whatever I could do to kind of promote the message of camp quality because I was so passionate about it. And I realized like, I can do this as a thing. This can actually be a job. People do this. People work for this organization. And so that's kind of where my journey and the nonprofit field came from. So after I graduated from my 
undergraduate university in St. Louis, I went on to the University of Georgia and pursued my master's in nonprofit management. And there I worked on a federal capacity building grant. And I worked with 10 different organizations in Athens, Georgia. And I loved this process because it was problem solving. You know, it was constantly changing. Every organization was different. Their causes were different. Their people resources, their budget, the, the issues they were, they were running into, they were all different. And so I loved how this changed and it made the job so much fun. I was like, I want to do this one day. And I realized that was consulting. So after a series of nonprofit jobs and various director positions, I began consulting for nonprofits and that's what led me here now. So I like to say that I am a former nonprofit executive turned nonprofit health advocate, advocating for healthier nonprofit bodies. And I've also created an online Online course called online wellness that takes leaders through this idea and this concept of viewing their organization as a nonprofit body so that's where I am now and that's how I come to you today oh my gosh that's so funny because well for a lot of reasons and I think that you're your transition of like a former nonprofit exec to <laughs> the health advocate you are I think it's funny because you know along with operation alone the two main I volunteered with a lot of organizations in college and I interned a lot, but the two main ones were Children's Miracle Network Hospitals and the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So I relate to that there's like a special, all nonprofits are special. They're all solving problems, but there is something really special when it's like this like childhood and it's like healthcare. And like, there's just something about those like sweet little faces that look up at you and you're like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) I'm gone. Like I can't. Um, But so I think that actually, does that really tie into how you got your start in this health related nonprofit and the metaphors that you stick with today with the wellness? Like, has that been the constant uh, marker? It's interesting because it really hasn't been, but whenever I look back over my nonprofit career experience. When I was in college, I was interning with the Children's Hospital in St. Louis. Mm. And now I work with an organization called Swim Across America. And that's again, the swimming background and the organization or the swim that I work with specifically in Atlanta supports children's healthcare of Atlanta and funding cancer research for pediatrics. So I have a lot of background whenever it comes to the health side of nonprofits, but that's actually not how I came to this concept. It really was birthed out of the pandemic last year. One of the clients I work with has multiple governing bodies across the country. And what I was seeing was that the regional governing bodies that had strong practices in place pre-pandemic were in a better position to face the complexities of the pandemic as, you know, things have been unfolding over the past year. And those that were being reactionary because they did not have those proactive practices in place to begin with, were really struggling. So when we relate that back to like our own bodies, whenever we are healthier, when we do get sick, we have those proactive practices in place, health practices, we're able to bounce back better because we're stronger, we're more agile. If we're not doing those things in advance, when we get sick, it's harder to to create those habits or to be healthy because we weren't doing those things to begin with. Mm. So I started thinking about this and, you know, during the pandemic, there was a lot of, of mental health talk as well. And so realizing that 
our bodies. Like we have to be able to move. We have to be able to relate to each other, to be in community. What are we putting into our bodies? What are we consuming media wise? All of these things impact the functionality of our bodies. Mm. And I just started thinking about this in terms of our organizations and just how similar that is, you know, just this holistic approach and understanding the function of each different part of our body and how it works together. And just started naming, I've got five different parts of the nonprofit body that I've identified and and kind of go through in my course and understanding they all have a different main function, Mm. but they're all connected and they all have to work together to have the highest functioning body or the highest functioning organization. Right. Absolutely. yeah, I was listening. So one of the episodes of yours I was listening to recently was with Mike Onsred. Is that his name? Oh, Onsred. Yeah. Onsred. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the science between exercise and success. Mm-hmm. And think about if we're strengthening our nonprofit bodies, how much right. more successful they will be, just like we're doing with our individual bodies. So it's this right. concept that people can relate to. We mm-hmm. all have we all have bodies. They all have, you know, we're all in different life stages, just like our nonprofits. We all identify in different ways, how we see ourselves, what our purposes are, who we serve, who we put, who we are in our community. Mm-hmm. It's so similar with our organizations. And that's why this concept I feel works because it's something everyone can relate to. Yeah. So that's really where it came from. <laughs> For sure. Well, and I think it's funny because even going back, so that episode that she mentioned, by the way, was episode 19. And it was funny because I've even watched other, like, again, these like high, you know, big up like CEOs, which was the whole premise of that like conversation, right? was like, you see Mm -hmm. these CEOs who are like, they get up at five and they do their workout and they've got their green juice and they're doing whatever. And I was like, what is the correlation within that? And what I find really funny is I've watched people who, and granted the pandemic kind of squashed this, but it was like people that were getting ready for book tours or uh, large speaking tours, like things that you were going to be on the road or like in the air, which obviously is super hard on your body. And they were like, yes, I'm getting all of my health ready now. They're like, I'm supercharging my body now so that it's prepared for like that really intense travel, those really intense things. And so it makes a lot of sense when you even say that in reference to like our organization's health. You know what I mean? Like that, it makes a lot of sense, but you're right. When you have a healthy immune system and you get something like the flu or COVID, you can bounce back way easier than if, you know, you already weren't taking that great care of yourself. So it's a very interesting concept. I like it a lot. So let's, and I have a lot of follow-up questions, but I think- Great, let's do it. Let's talk about the original. Okay, so you talked about how there's- um. Five parts of the nonprofit body. So what are they? (laughs) Explain that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the five parts, first, we'll start with the heart. So this is the mission of your organization. This is the lifeblood of your nonprofit body. It is pumping life into every part of your body. And without it, we, we don't have a living body, right? You know, we've got to have a strong heartbeat. We have to have a strong heart. Next is the head. And the head I identify as the board of the organization, or the board of the organization. The board provides strategic direction for the nonprofit body. And I think it's really important when we're naming these parts of the body to understand their main function. So just because they have a main function doesn't mean they don't work with another part of the body, but it is the board is directly responsible for creating that strategic direction. You know, think about your body. Whenever you have, when you're thinking in your head, my hands need to do this to accomplish this, then the hands 
follow, but the hands are the only ones that are actually able to grasp the thing. They can, they're the only thing that can actually do the thing that the head is directing it to do. So we're looking at the hands of the body. These are your staff or your volunteers. And this will look different for each organization, depending on if they have paid staff, if they're all, an all volunteer organization, if it's a combination of the two. So staff and committees, how they work together and they carry out the day-to-day -day actions and management of the nonprofit body. And then we have the feet. The feet are the, the base. They are the soul of your organization, the constituents and your supporters. So they have the ability to improve the posture of your entire body in the community. They have the ability to move your mission and your body forward into the world. And then we have the connective tissue, which is the culture of the organization. And I feel that this is one of the most forgotten about because the culture protects, it supports, and it connects every part of your body. But how often do we think about the culture in our organizations? You know, usually we're thinking about just fundraising or just needing volunteers. Or, you know, we get, we get kind of hyper-focused on one thing without realizing what's the thing that's holding all of those together. And I recently went to one of my yoga classes and my instructor started talking about the connective tissue and her fascination with the connective tissue. And she said, I don't know if any of you have ever thought about it. And I was like, so excited to raise my hand. I'm like, I do think about this. <laughs> it's so all the time. <laughs> yes, it's so important. And the fact that we don't give our connective tissue enough attention, but it's so important to how our body operates and how it functions. So those are the five main parts of the body. There's so much more to all five parts, but that's a brief, a brief overview of the five parts of the nonprofit body. Yeah. But what I found, one thing I found really interesting as you were explaining that particularly was with uh, the head and how you were explaining when the head is going, you know, but it's telling your body like, okay, your hands have to go pick up this thing or do this thing. And I was thinking about the fact that like our brains actually, we don't realize that those are subconscious thoughts. Like our conscious thought isn't, hey, fingers, you know, grasp this, this uh, cup of coffee. It's just like a much more natural just because your subconscious is always working. And I kind of thought about how, yeah, when you have such a well-oiled machine and great practices from like your leadership team, the top head down to your staff that are like the hands, like it's going to feel a lot more like the subconscious is working than the conscious brain is working. Am I like onto that or did I take that in a super weird direction? Yeah. No, 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 no. And I think, you know, when we're, when we're thinking about the head of the body, we're thinking about our, our sensory organs as well. How are we observing things? How are we listening? Using our mouths to communicate, our brain to do the strategic thinking. And what you were talking about with the subconscious, I think a lot of that relates back to our traditions. What yeah. are the traditions in your organization that we just do because we've always done it? But how often have those traditions been a priority over the wellness of the people in your organization those, Im those traditions impact? Mm -hmm. You know, I think we have a responsibility to be aware of our thoughts and the things that we just do. We go through the, the motions of doing both as individuals and as an organization. You know, we're encouraged to do this in our personal lives. You know, take control of your thoughts because your thoughts have an impact on your overall wellness, your physical body. It's the same way in our nonprofit organizations. And so much of that, again, is looking at what we've always done. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest things that I think we can do better in our nonprofit organizations. It's not just looking at how are things right now? 
How were things a year ago? How were things five years ago? You know, depending on the age of your organization, when I'm going through this process with organizations and looking at these five different parts, we do an assessment for each of the five parts. Mm-hmm. But when we do this, we go through currently, how, what pain points are you experiencing? But then going back, if you're a younger organization, look back over one year, over two years, over three years, how long has this pain point been rooted in your organization? If you're a more mature organization, maybe look back over five years or maybe align this with your term limits for your leaders. And looking back over a span of time, the same way when we go to the doctor and we have to fill out our health history, you know, what does this exist with your, on your mother's side, on your father's side, grandparents. I did one months ago that asked about cousins and siblings. I mean, we're going deep dive here and we want to do the same thing when we're looking at our nonprofit bodies. How long has this been an issue in your organization? Mm. Just because we've identified it as one right now, that doesn't tell us the full picture. We want to look back at our history and to really understand so we can identify when these things are triggered in our organization. This isn't a one-time thing. This has been here for a while. How do we change our practice and what do we replace that practice with? So it's not just identifying it. It's not just changing it. It's knowing where, where it is and where we want it to be. So it's much more than just the check it off and, and say, oh, this is a problem. Okay, we know it's a problem. Yeah. It's much more intentional than that. For sure. I, well, it's funny. It reminds me, we, um, an- another podcast episode that we did, I think was number 22 with, with Patrick Kirby. And he even like wrote a book about this. And the entire premise was that he thought the most dangerous sentence in like the nonprofit industry is this is the way we've always done it, which could be true. Absolutely. The other industries, <laughs> not just nonprofits, but it's true, especially, which I think is a fun thing about, and I'm not knocking uh, people who have been with their organizations in a long time, but you know, like newer people, those fresh eyes of just like, why are we, why is this the one process that we have stuck with forever? Like, you know, sometimes it just takes that person to shake it up to be like, but why? <laughs> like it could be yes. fine, but why are we doing it this way? So I find that really fascinating. Okay. Let's, okay. I want to do it like an example. So, cause you are a consultant, right? So you'll work with nonprofits on this. So like, let's take a mid-sized nonprofit, uh, maybe doing like some regional work a lot in their state. Um, and they've never done this kind of like wellness check before. Where would you start with them? So I would definitely start with understanding your background. So let's start with identifying your strengths. So similar to a SWOT analysis, we're looking at your strengths and your weaknesses, opportunities, threats, but let's understand where you are right now. So let's look at what strengths you have, because as we go throughout this process, you're going to be identifying pain points. So with every pain point, we want to have a strength to counter that pain point. So let's figure out what your organizational strengths are first. Let's look at your history. Let's create a timeline. What were the pivotal moments in your organization's history? What were the milestones? Who were the key players? Those can be donors. Those can be leaders. That can be a volunteer. That can be someone you have served in your organization who helped you realize oh, we're not meeting a need that we intended to meet. So understanding what our history looks like, what our evaluation history looks like. When's the last time you talked to anyone in your organization? Especially as leaders on a board or an executive director, we can get in the habit of just talking to the same people. 
But what about the people you're serving? They are the ones that are receiving your services. They are the ones who know that if their needs are being met or not. And we may have, we may have good ideas. You know, that's usually why we recruit people to be in leadership positions in our organization because they have a certain skill set that we know will benefit our organization. But until we really understand what the people in our organization are feeling at the core, will we really understand if they are part of what our organization is still doing? You know, that mission creep, whenever we start doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, we're all over the place. Mm -hmm. Let's really nail down. Let's get specific about where you are, where you have been, and where you want to see yourself. So one of the exercises I do with organizations, we have two columns. In this column, I want you to write the words that have been associated with your organization in the past. The phrases, the words, they can be positive, they can be negative. We're only going to get as far as we're willing to be honest. I think we know, we know that as individuals too. Right. In the next column, let's look at what words and phrases you want to be associated with your organization. And there's gonna be some overlap here, as hopefully there should be, but really recognizing what's the story you're telling. What have you been telling in the past and does that still align with where you want to be and how do we change that narrative? So the first step is really just getting a grasp and understanding where you are and where you have been to better understand where you're headed next. Hmm. I like that. So, okay. If you use this big, you know, metaphor of nonprofit wellness, are the, do you refer to the parts that aren't working as well, like the illness points, or do you have like a different word that you use for that? Usually use pain point. Okay. So where is the pain point in your organization? So when, for example, in my online course, nonprofit wellness, each part has an assessment. So it's a pain point assessment. Similar, we're going to the doctor. Where do you feel pain today? Where does it hurt the most on a scale of one to 10? We do that for each part of the body. So some people look at this like, oh, that's so negative. I think there's value in being honest about where we are and what we're experiencing. You know, false positivity does not work. We have to be honest about what our strengths are, what are our weaknesses, where, what are our pain points in our organization that need to be treated? If we just keep ignoring them, they're going to continue to get worse. So let's identify what those pain points are. And then we go through a series of different exercises that become, that open up the conversation. You know, get a little bit more conversational about things, do a deep dive into the information you have identified to hopefully work through some of those pain points or realize what did that look like and what would be a better option for our organization? And not necessarily making modifications. This is another thing I learned in yoga. My instructor doesn't like to use the word modification because mentally when we hear modification, we think there's one right way and I have to modify it because I'm not quite there yet or I'm not quite good enough. But she uses the word variation. So when we think about a variation, a variety of things can work. It's not just one right way that we have to modify because we're not quite there yet. There are a variety of options. And I love using that, that idea of, you know, these variations, what variation works best for you, where you are right now. It doesn't have to look like that organization. It has to be functional and practical for you and your organization. Mm. See, this is so hard. Like running this podcast for these interviews, but also like being a nonprofit CEO myself. Cause like mm. you're talking 
And I, on the one hand, I'm like, I have to ask a follow-up question. But the other part of me is just thinking about all these things. Like (laughs) in my CEO shoes, I'm like, no, no, wait, wait, come back. Um, (laughs) Which is like my own issue. But I I like the idea of variations versus my, because you're right, modifications, like, and I, I don't even think it's like, like if I used to do like a workout tape, um, which makes me sound so old, but like, like a video and it was like, okay. Um, you know, they were like always in a triangle, right? Like the head person was like, this is the advanced person. Mm. This is the modified person. And I'm really competitive. So when I would look at the modification, I was like, oh, so it's like the weaker version. And I was like, so I can't put myself in like the weak yes. spot, which is also a really dangerous, like head game to do with yourself. So variations I like so much more. Cause yeah, maybe maybe other people like me could chill. (laughs) No, but I'm with you too. I am that competitive type as well. So when she said that, Mm -hmm. it was a mind shift for me. I thought, oh, this isn't bad. This Mm. doesn't mean that I am less than, (laughs) which, you know, is often that feeling that that we get. I would thought, oh, this is what works best for me. This is what, what I need right now. And that's okay because this still serves me well. That would not serve me well. That would put me in a worse position. I would have increased pain points if I tried that. Yeah. And so just putting these things into perspective. I mean, we have so many different avenues in our life to learn from, to implement in our professional world. You know, from the things that we're reading, I wrote about this yesterday, to the conversations we're having with people. Mm-hmm. The books I'm reading that have absolutely nothing to do with leadership or nonprofit management, but the lessons that I can learn to apply to my professional world, I think we have to go outside of our sector to really learn and create those new ideas. Otherwise, we, we get in that habit of this is what we've always done, but just like the medical world, Practices change. Technology advances. We are doing ourselves no favors when we do the same thing we did a decade ago without understanding the purpose behind it. You know, what meaning does this still serve? It did then and it had a purpose then. How has that changed now? And how do we use those advances to benefit our body now? Running a business, working your nonprofit, or just simply making an impact takes a lot of energy, which means you need the drink of champions, coffee. Specifically, you need Door County Coffee, a gourmet coffee roastery on a mission to bring you the best coffee on the planet. And that isn't hard when they only roast the top 2% of Arabica beans grown in the entire world. Try any of their medium or dark roasts, like my personal favorite, the Heroes Blend, or you can try one of their almost 100 delicious flavors like Highlander Grog, Frosted Cinnamon Buns, or Vanilla Creme Brulee. They ship all across the country, so try your first pot today by going to DoorCountyCoffee.com and using the code IMPACT for 15% off your order. That's I-M-P-A-C-T for 15% off at DoorCountyCoffee.com and get caffeinated today. Do you know what you just said that really set me off was, yeah, in the, if someone, if your doctor came up to you and was like, well, this is the way we've always done it, we would be terrified. I'd be like, I don't yes. want you to treat my cancer diagnosis the way you've always done it. Like, that's horrible. You want like, you know, like, what have you recently found? Like, what's the new diagnosis? So I find it funny that there are sectors that we are like, 
yeah, like give me the new stuff, give it the technology, you know, it's like, give me the new thing. Let's mm-hmm. keep moving forward. But yeah, for some reason, like in our organizations, you're like, no, 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 it's cool. Like the way we've always done it is great. But in other areas, we recognize like how terrifying that is. Yes. And it's terrifying. Think about someone in your organization who has been with your organization from the beginning. Mm-hmm. They have been part of these long standing traditions and someone new comes in and they start asking the questions. Well, why have we done this? And not with poor intentions, right. out of genuine curiosity to know, should we be doing something different? Can this be done better? But that's a very vulnerable space for that person, that leader or that volunteer has been in your organization for a long time and has always done it this way they're personally attached to that for for various reasons. And being very sensitive and being aware of how we're addressing these conversations. Change is hard. Change is hard for everyone. So it doesn't serve us well to come in and just say, we're going to change everything. This doesn't work. You're out. What, What kind of conversations are we having that are productive and that are supportive of the backgrounds of everyone in our organization, the experiences of everyone in our organization, opening up this culture of inquiry, you know, asking questions and having conversations with people rather than just coming in with personal agendas. You know, we've, mm-hmm. so we think about organizations where you're going to have turnover mm-hmm. no matter what. Eventually someone's going to leave your organization we don't know what terms they will leave your organization, but eventually everyone will leave your organization. And the more we're able to align our practices, our strategic planning, our processes all around the heart of our organization and letting the heart lead the way, the less likely we are for those personal agendas of someone new coming in, just changing everything. Whenever we have that sense of direction and that lifeblood flowing throughout the body, because everyone is, experiencing the same thing as far as where the body is headed. One person coming into your organization and wanting to change everything will be much more difficult when we're intentional about our cultural practices. What do we value? Where are we headed? Because personal agendas can be the downfall of any organization. For sure. For sure. I want to ask, like, is there one particular area of like one particular pain point that when you work with organizations, you kind of see like the same pain point, like popping up for most, like depending on like size or, you you know, kind of focus area of the nonprofit, like if it's health and wellness versus, uh, you know, animals or whatever. Um, Is there like one pretty big pain point or is it really specific to the nonprofit? You know, I think it can really vary by the organization whenever we're thinking about the nonprofit body type, like what type of organization is this? Where are they in their life cycle? Are they in a mature organization, a startup organization? Are they a membership organization or a non-membership organization? All of these things play into the pain points. But I would say across the board, what I see most often is lack of communication or, or weak communication. And that's a huge issue because I find that communication tends to be the biggest pain point because it takes the most time and it takes the most effort. Mm. And whenever we're thinking about the time that we have to spend on our organizations, usually it's how do I raise the money? How do I serve the people without realizing that other things that need to happen in the background that are actually really visible by the community and by your constituents. And that's the communication. How transparent are you being when the crisis hits, how are you communicating with people to let them know 
we're not certain about what's next. We cannot provide you certainty right now. No one can, but we can provide you clarity on where we are and what we're doing and what you can expect from us. I think oftentimes whenever we get into those places of crises, we go silent because we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And that's a default mode. We would rather be silent than say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. But what people need most from us is our communication. They just want to know we're there. We want to know that we still value them and that we are not going anywhere. And if you are going somewhere, things are changing, being upfront about that rather than a surprise. We're no longer going to be in existence. Thank you and good night. Mm -hmm. Being proactive about that communication but I think in addition to that, what we talked about earlier with traditions, that pain point of not examining old traditions and moving on, you know, the way we've always done it, which is not necessarily beneficial. Mm -hmm. And then finally, just reactionary practices rather than being proactive. You know, we get so busy, you know, this as a CEO, so many things to be done. Yeah. How are we going to do all of these things with what we have? And rather than working within those constraints to be proactive, we just become reactionary when the new thing pops up that needs our attention. And that doesn't usually serve us best because we aren't in, in a consistent practice of any sort. We are just reactively going by what's in front of us. Mm -hmm. Right, which is hard, right? Because I think that's also just our nature as human beings is like something comes at us. And what I've always found really fascinating is like our bodies and our brains are just designed for survival. So when new things come at us, it's just, uh, it's so easy to have that fight or flight of just like, I'm going to be silent until I've like collected all the information until I figure out everything. So I never have to make a misstep. So I find that very fascinating. So yes. I want to talk about, you know, if we kind of put like, I, you know what, I want to put this on both hats. I was going to say, if I put like my leader hat on, but also, I mean, because the followers and like this, every part of like the breakdown of an organization is so important because it, much like a, a human body, like nothing would work fully without every part working there. And so I just kind of want to talk about like, if you're making a really big change, like in an organization, even if, and I'm going to use something as broad and as complicated as what you talked about, which is like a communication issue, right? Um, whether that's how communication is being passed down, if it's language, maybe between like senior leadership and like the rest of the staff, the communication between the nonprofit and donors, um, communication can just be such like a large overarching crazy thing. So what, like, how do you help, like, kind of guide people to be like, you know what, like, we've identified these pain points, we need to make this better, because I feel like the, the role of the leader and of, as the, uh, anyone else <laughs> in the organization, um, everyone has to take steps, like, together to get there, so how do you kind of help guide people through that, because that's got to be complicated, you know, that's a long process to make people reinvent how they communicate with each other. It really is. And I'll say whenever we touch on the hands of the organization, so we're talking about staff and, and volunteers, you know, this includes your committees and your executive director, I have a PSA that I like to use. So the PSA is prepare, support, and acknowledge. So that prepare step in the very beginning, you know, onboarding and creating recruiting tactics that 
incorporate your culture and your values into that process, using your language consistently throughout that process. And when you support, when you're evaluating in that supportive role, and then when you're acknowledging, how well are you using the same language across the board? And I think the better we can do that upfront using that language and the, the recruiting process and the interview process, and then throughout our onboarding, our orientation, our regular meetings and communications, it becomes part of your, your culture, it becomes part of your DNA that is threaded throughout your entire body. This language in particular, when used consistently, becomes embedded in the brains of your staff and your volunteers so they're not even second guessing it. It's like you talked about earlier with your subconscious. Those are the words you decide to use. This is how we communicate. This is the message. It isn't something that they just hear once or it's posted on the website somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's lived out. They're living out that mission and they're seeing the leaders do the same thing. You know, oftentimes in an organization, we see a leader do something and we think, oh, they can do that. I can do that. So if they come late to a meeting or they're not prepared, it's like, well, they don't care enough. So I'm not going to care enough to be prepared when coming to a meeting. But if they see that person showing up consistently on time, providing encouragement to their peers or to those they're working with, that's going to be seen. And people are going to catch on to that and think, oh, well, I want to be prepared too, because I don't want to be the one who's the oddball in this meeting or in this situation. So making it part of what your organization is living out, not just what it says it does from time to time, but creating that consistent language. And what I had talked about earlier, doing that exercise with the past words and phrases that you you have used in your organization and the words that you want to see associated with your organization, that's not just for your eyes only. You know, share this with other people and better yet, get their feedback on this. You know, these exercises aren't created to do on your own. Get your leaders, get some of your constituents to do the same thing, to get a wide variety of perspectives, because you may realize that your perspective is not all encompassing of your organization. So how can we do better about incorporating all of the voices So when we are speaking in one language, it resonates with everyone and it isn't a bunch of jargon. It's easy to understand and it's meaningful and impactful to those in the positions who are serving. So that makes their their idea of their job more meaningful. And those that you're serving, they actually see the impact in their lives, which is what you hope to do as a nonprofit organization. So same language is the short answer of that, <laughs> start speaking the same language and yeah. using it consistently in your organization. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I have one last like big overarching question for you. Okay. I think that this is also a really tricky part to, to any organization, any company, honestly. So like, let's say that an organization, um, like I'll even use mine, like, like, let's say operation alone, like went through, we did this whole, um, you know, this big wellness check. We like audited our methods. We, and we made this whole new kind of, you know, setup of how we were going to run and, and all of our wellness pieces. And like the whole team is doing dandy, like great job. Everyone's rolling. And then, you know, let's say that for some reason I wouldn't, but like, you know, I stepped away and we put in a new CEO who was just like guns a blazing. Here's how I do things. Here's how we're going to do it. You know, whatever. And the rest of the team is like, but wait, we established nice things over here. And now there's like VP of 
whatever, um, you know, it's kind of coming in and ruining that. How would you suggest, because that's now the really hard part is like the onus is now on the, the people not in as much power, the people without the big fancy like titles who have to kind of stand up to that. How would you suggest that companies and employees and even volunteers can, can battle that, you know, like when they were doing really well, now this major leadership change happened and they're like, this isn't how, you know, this is supposed to go. Cause that's a hard check that I think a lot of people have to do. And most people won't, cause they'll just quit. Right. If they're like, okay, well now this isn't like fun for me anymore. Or this isn't, I'm enjoying it. Instead of trying to stand up and correct it, they'll just leave. So that was a very long question, but, <laughs> but how can people, uh, you know, kind of deal with that? Like when they had it all going well and one person comes in and kind of ruins it. Yes, I think a couple of things here. One, this goes back to the importance of incorporating your values and your culture into the recruiting process. This person on paper may have all of the skills that you desire, except they are very forceful or you can see in their interview process that they are very set on changing ideas and really getting hold of what their personality is like before you welcome them into your organization because Part of your organization is protecting the people in your organization. So if you bring in this person who may be toxic into your body, what are you going to do about that? You know, what do you do when you, when you ingest a toxin and your body starts feeling it, you, you know, we have to come up with, with a process for remedying that. And oftentimes it's getting rid of the toxic thing that's in your body, right. you know, so really, really understanding why you're inviting this person into your organization. And if they're truly a good fit for the people and the cause in your organization, they are in, and we don't want to just get rid of people haphazardly because we're like, Oh, well, we don't like their ideas. Bye. See you later. We yeah. have to understand the role of the executive. That executive reports to the board. The board hires and can fire this executive. The board needs to own its responsibilities and its evaluation process and that board chair working specifically with that director to create a strong relationship where they're on the same page. If they are consistently not on the same page as operating off of the practices established by the board, and you're headed in a direction that is strategic and you understand what your priorities are and how those priorities impact every part of your body, it's important to be on the same page with that executive. If you're not, what does that look like in 60 days and 90 days and a year for change to happen? You know, we can't expect change to happen immediately when we have a new executive in. You know, there's that, that learning process. They're getting to know everyone, the culture, being realistic about those milestones, those benchmarks and expectations. But if after a year, it's still not working out, you have some hard choices to make. And you have to remember that the organization is first and the people inside your organization who are loyal and valued, they are valued, they are first. So if this is a true toxic person in your organization, you have to take certain steps to remedy that. And sometimes it's not the fun part. <laughs> No, that's like the hardest part. But I feel like people deal with that a lot, especially when they're, and not even like specific to nonprofits, but just in businesses in general, like when there's one person who is like the toxic coworker, the toxic manager, the talk, you know, whatever, especially if you don't feel like you have, um, 
you know, like a leg to stand on because maybe your rank is like underneath them. It's just really easy to like bitch about them and kind of keep now making it like a, a more toxic situation because now the water cooler group is just complaining yes. about this person and like, you know, doing whatever, then actually kind of standing up and saying like, look, this is a problem. You know, like things were, you know, things would be much better if they were over here or if they had this structure. Um, that's a really hard thing to do. And I think most people, kind of like you said in the beginning, uh, people will be silent until they have enough time to like not say the wrong thing. Um, most people will hang out there. So I thought that was a, you know, I wanted to ask that because I think people deal with that a lot more and no one seems to have a great answer to it other than either like quit or suck it up and take it. So I like yes, yeah. And and you know this reminds me of two things. Brene Brown st- talks specifically in her Dear Lead podcast about the culture of niceness. Mm-hmm. So nobody talks back. Like you know we don't have a lot of conflict in our organization. Everyone's just really nice. That those tensions, if there are tensions, those are going somewhere. Those comments are being listened to by someone. Maybe it's the meeting after, what I call the meeting after the meeting. So when you're in a meeting, say a board of directors meeting, and someone is asking questions and they're being thoughtful about a conversation and you don't say anything, but you have a lot of ideas in your head and you leave the meeting and you have a side meeting with the other people on the board where you say, well, that person had terrible ideas. This is what I would have done. Well, now we're starting this culture of, of gossip and backstabbing, which is not healthy. And Kim Scott talks in Radical Candor about no backstab, like make a culture where backstabbing is not allowed. It's not supportive. supported. If someone comes to you and they start complaining about someone else, we, we shut it down there and say, have you talked to this person first? Hmm. If they haven't and they can't come to an agreement there, then both of them can come to you together. But it's going to be someone pitted against someone else because that is not helpful in our organizations. And like you said, if people don't feel they have an outlet to be heard, they just quit. They're out and done. I can't do this anymore. I've experienced that in an organization where I have been very honest and vulnerable about something I was experiencing in an organization. And two months later, someone's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we never talked about this. Mm. So I feel like I'm not heard. Right. I'm not going to keep, I'm not going to keep doing this. Like, that's a lot of energy and effort on my behalf and to not be supported. This, this isn't good for my well-being. It's not good for the organization. Yeah. Well, and also too, and whether people take this for granted or not, I mean, that's not, it doesn't just stay at work ever, right? Like those are mm-hmm. things now, like those bad feelings come home with you. And I think that's so much worse in our pandemic because your home and your work are now the exact same place. There's not even the mental checkoff of like, okay, like I'm in the car. When I walk through the door home, like, you know, I'm going to leave it there because now it's like all blended in the same place. And it's funny. I just was, I don't know if you watch How I Met Your Mother. Yes, I love that. I've watched the whole series. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while, and I, I like turned on some random episode, and it and it was the the one of Barney, and he was explaining like the chain of screaming or like the circle of screaming or whatever. Oh yes, because but that's part of it. You know what I mean? Because now it's like when you are that person at work all day, and you're just like taking the screaming and you're taking the toxicity, and then you come home and then you scream at your wife or you scream at your kid, and then they go off and then they scream at their teacher, and then they, you know, like it just keeps going. And now there's this huge ripple effect because you didn't solve it right there at work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Now you're going to take yeah. all of that home with you. So um, 
I don't know why that popped into my, in my head, but I'm so glad that you knew what I was talking about. Um, it's hard. I think, I think getting rid of a toxic person or at least correcting like toxic behavior at work is so freaking hard and no one has a great answer for it and no one is great at doing it. So I think you talking yeah. about it was awesome. So thank you for that. Um, Jess, this has been really very insightful and I like your method and your like metaphor of kind of evaluating nonprofits in this wellness space. Um, Do you have any like last uh, words of wisdom, anything that you want to just share, like anything you want to really leave our listeners on? I would say the first thing is don't do it alone. Whether that means you're seeking out the help of a professional, just like we would if we were talking about our own nonprofit, our own health, talking Mm -hmm. to a specialist in the area for the pain points you've identified, or doing it with the people in your organization. This can be a really overwhelming process, and you may have really great ideas and insight, but you're going to be even better when you have a wider holistic picture of what your organization looks like from the various experiences of the leaders in your organization, the volunteers, the constituents, the financial supporters, all of them offer a perspective, and you don't have to figure this out on your own. So begin taking that first step and inviting other people into this process and know that taking one step is the, the start of this process. You don't have to have it all figured out today and a week and a year, but you have to start somewhere and you have to understand where you are in your organization and your life cycle and the resources that you have and your size. You have to understand your body first to know what it's capable of in the future. So take that first step and don't do it alone. I love that. I think that's really great advice because we, we often feel like we're off on a ship on our own. So um, Jess, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast today. I know it took us quite the journey to have this recording. <laughs> it, was, um, it was worth the journey. I loved it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Um, no, this has been great. Where can people uh, find you, follow you, learn more nuggets of wisdom for, from you? Um, yeah, give us, give us. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Jess Cooper Consulting, and also my website, jesscooperconsulting.com. And there's also a link to the online course, Nonprofit Wellness, which takes you through all five parts of the nonprofit body and tells you how you can put it all together in one proactive long-term practice at the end. I love that, Jess. Thank you again. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.